0: Hi, I'm Bill Neifert, and you're listening to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker. Today we have episode 320 for April 17th, 2023. And I'll be talking today with Bill Neifert from Corellium. And Corellium is a company that makes virtualization products that help people to test stuff without having to use the real hardware to do it and why is that important well we'll talk about that a little bit today when we when we interview bill Now, there are are several technical things that come up during this interview that aren't terribly important to probably most of you. But I will just real quickly do my usual pre-interview glossary segment where I'll quickly define some of these terms. So as you hear them, you at least know what they're talking about. And one of the major things that Corellium does is work with what are called ARM processors. That's A-R-M. And that stands for Advanced RISC Machines. (laughs) And that's not R-I-S-K. RISC is another acronym, R-I-S-C, which stands for Reduced Instruction Set Computer, as opposed, of course, to CISC machines or complex instruction set computers. (laughs) So what does that all mean? It doesn't really matter too much. But just so you know, there are two basic types of processors, two families of processors that run in computers and all the computing devices that we have, and those are CISC processors and RISC processors. CISC processors are more like the Intel type chips, the AMD type chips, the x86 style chips. And then there's this other type called RISC computers, reduced instruction set computers, of which ARM is by far the most popular. Architecture variety, which is in everything, as we're going to find today in our interview, these little suckers are all over the place, and it's really uh, amazing how much they've kind of taken over uh, the computing world. They could be very low power, they could be much smaller, uh, they have a lot of potential advantages. We also talk about virtualization and hypervisors, and this is basically about emulating or simulating a computer in software running on another computer if you've ever used vmware or parallels uh, that allowed you to maybe run linux on your mac or windows on your mac for example this is a version uh, of running virtualization and what these guys are virtualizing are devices like smartphones and iot devices bill talks about jailbreaking and this is the notion of getting past the built-in security measures on a device that will let you do whatever you want. Basically, this is more common on like a mobile device, like on a cell phone or a, or a tablet that has built-in security measures that's supposed to keep you from getting, well, to, from getting malware, but also from installing stuff that the manufacturer doesn't want you to install. We talk about pen testing or penetration testing. This is This is essentially hacking, but hacking for the purpose of improving the security, like trying to hack in, and if you're successful, patching those holes so that by the time you ship the software, ship the product with that software running on it, you have hopefully secured it against malicious hacking. And we also briefly discuss DDoS attacks, that's distributed denial of service, and a lot of times what happens with hacked IoT devices is they get recruited into these things called botnets. Uh, where they can be told to mess with some other computer on the on the internet. Like if you get a thousand of these IoT devices recruited into your botnet and you can command and control them from anywhere on the internet, you can instruct all of these compromised devices to send a whole bunch of traffic to this web server to try to bring it down. Or maybe have it send a bunch of spam emails or, or things like that. So anyway, we, we we rattle off a lot of these terms, and as usual, I wanted to kind of prep you for that so that when those things come up in the interview, you at least know kind of what we're talking about. Now, you will notice my voice sounds a little funny in this interview. I don't know what was going on this day. I had a little bit of a frog in my throat, so I sounded just a little bit off, and so you'll probably notice that. But anyway, that that's plenty to set up this interview. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to my interview with Bill Neifert from Corellium. Bill Neifert is the Senior Vice President for Partnerships at Corellium, and prior to Corellium, Bill led the marketing organization for the tools group at ARM, A-R-M, we'll talk about that a little bit today, and was CTO and co-founder at Carbon Design Systems. Welcome to the show, Bill.
0: Thank you very much, Kerry. It's good to be here.
1: The Internet of Things craze has been going strong for many years now. And every appliance or electronic device has some sort of smart version today. It's just, it's some way to get us to rebuy all the stuff that was working just fine, you know, two years ago, but now it's got to be connected to the internet. So this means that not only do these devices have computers in them running software, but they're also connected to the internet, probably 24 seven. And this has some important implications for cybersecurity. And so I think it's something we should understand a little better. And that is why you are here. So I tell you what, for starters, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Corellium, and what is your role there, and what do you, what do, you do there?
0: Sure. Um, so Corellium is probably best known for what we do for mobile devices. So let me talk first about what we do for mobile devices, and I can then relate to that to why I'm here, because I don't have not much to do with mobile devices. So Corellium's technology is fundamentally a virtualization technology. We have the ability to take any workload or software payload designed to run on basically any arm processor and run it on an arm server this gives us the the ability to basically virtualize the behavior of any mobile phone and corellium is probably most famous for having a farm of virtual devices representing pretty much every iphone ipad uh, iPod, too, back when that was a thing, uh, out there running basically every version of iOS um, out there in both jailbroken and non-jailbroken forms. And, and people use this to do any manner of security research or vulnerability research, pen testing and things like that, because it's a virtual version of a phone. And when you break it and doing security research, you often do, you can press a button and you get a brand new one uh, coming out of here. You don't want to do that with the thousand dollar iPhone. You just went and bought from the, uh, from the Apple store. you take it back and they don't want it back when you say, Oh, by the way, I was trying to break it. Um, So, you know, so that's what Corellium does for its core business i was brought on because at the heart of all of this is a fantastic virtual a hypervisor virtualization technology which gives us the ability to basically virtualize not only mobile phone processors but any arm processor out there you know and not just the application processors, but also the real-time embedded processors and the microcontroller processors out here. So we have the ability to run any uh, any sort of ARM payload, and this gives us the ability now to scale out and model that entire device and now run software that would typically be limited to only run on physical devices. We can now run this in the cloud out here and virtualize the behavior of any ARM-based device. This now lets you take you know, a flow that used to be tied to a physical device and now spin it up, um, run it in the cloud, and leverage all of these fantastic cloud-based development methodologies that web folks have been using for years, but now you can actually apply them to simpler uh, in theory devices or smart devices or cars uh you know basically anything that's arm based and most things are becoming more and Ar- more and more arm based you can take run them uh, in virtualized version in quantity 1 or quantity 1000 or quantity 10000 you might want to tell us before you spin up 10000 so we can <laughs> so we can so we can work with AWS but you know that that's the fundamental stuff over here and you know my background is more in in this non-mobile area and in in the modeling space you know carbon design systems the company i helped found was all about modeling the components in the in, in the device in order to basically put up a virtual version before um, the device was available corellium just does this in a much better way for its target market. You know, we, we're not trying to solve the hardware designer's problem. We're trying to solve the software designer's problem in here with this. And we've got a version that typically runs faster than, a, than the physical device that it's that it's modeling and, you know, can put that on everyone's virtual desk in, in any quantity.
1: Well, I, we used to struggle with that at, at Cisco when I was there because a lot of our devices were expensive and, and they were they were fresh off the, the the factory line. So a lot of times we didn't even as engineers didn't have copies of these things and they were expensive, but we had. And so we actually ended up using Raspberry Pis uh, in a lot of cases to emulate these devices. So I, I've totally been there. I, I could totally see the value to that. That would be really, really helpful. We could have used actually probably something like that when we were doing it. But, I'll, but I'll we're going for further. contacts after yeah. the call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but from audiences sake, what what, just at a basic level, what is an ARM processor like? And maybe compare that to Intel, which maybe if people understand processors might be more familiar with, what is the whole deal with ARM? And, and again, I, I, my audience may or may not understand what that is. So help us just understand at a high level what it is to be an ARM processor.
0: Well it's 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 interesting. I, I often go and speak at uh, my at my alma mater. I, I went to Boston University here and I'll go and I'll and I'll talk to the students and say how many people here have heard how many people here have heard of ARM? And I'll generally never get more than one or two hands raised out there. But ARM processors are the predominant processor architecture in the world. They ship well, not they, but their partners ship Upwards of thirty billion processors a year, and these processors are at the core of oh, almost everything anymore. Generally, any smartphone you have has you know at least four ARM processors inside of it. Most of them have have upwards of eight to ten nowadays. By the time you look at the uh, at the modem and uh, security subsystems inside of them, along with the application, so any smart device typically has one or more in these, but you know, that same arm processor can be adapted to power other things as well. And arm has different variants, um, which can run inside of servers, which can run inside of IOT devices, which can run inside of auto. And, you know, arm doesn't actually build any of the, these chips itself. It builds the core technology and then it license it, licenses it to everyone else. And this is an area that it's very different than what Intel does. Intel, builds the chip and it sells that chip to people that that, that they then incorporate inside. So, you know, they take the process from, you know, initial concept to design, to build, to manufacture, and then they hand that off to everyone else. ARM just does the first couple of steps and, you know, then licenses that technology either in processor form or in just architecture form for others to incorporate into their designs. And then, ARM takes a royalty. So ARM charges you to mm-hmm. use their design and then takes a percentage of, uh, you know, of whatever fee you get for the design, that design when you sell it out. And this was, this was the revolutionary business model that ARM put out when it first came out. I'm sure someone else probably did it first, but <laughs> ARM perfected it, uh, you know, in here. But that's the fundamental difference between ARM and Intel is the, is the licensing model and the, um, the IP model that surrounds all of these.
1: Well, and I think famously, what one of the biggest proponents of that now is Apple. Apple Silicon is based on ARM architecture, which is a which is a huge shift and a major win for Apple. I mean, their processes are just phenomenal. But that okay, that's getting too far too far off in the weeds. I'm an Apple guy though, so I had to say something. So all right, let's talk about smart devices. What is what is the basic anatomy of a smart device before we get into some of the details? Like, I don't think people really think about what these things really are on the inside. They they buy these toasters and fr- refrigerators and light bulbs and things that are smart. They don't look like computers but then nevertheless they're running code and they've got a little chip in there that is a is a computer a small computer and it's communicating over the internet so we've already talked a little bit about arm but like what other site you know when we're thinking about these tiny little devices what sorts of hardware and software are actually in these things like how would these compare to most people think of traditional computers
0: well i mean you know it, it can now vary depending upon the application you know some of these smart devices are just a computer attached to something else. You mentioned earlier you're using yeah. Raspberry, Pis to, Raspberry Pis to model uh, certain things. A Raspberry Pi can be used as a computer. It's got an HDMI port, a USB mm-hmm. port. If you so desire, you could use it as your desktop computer. There are others, however, who have taken that same Raspberry Pi and they've embedded it, embedded it inside another box, and you know it's all hidden away. It's used as a controller, and it controls that. And fundamentally, that's you know what's what a smart device is. It's basically just a device into which some some manner of computing technology has been applied, and that can be done, uh, you know, using any manner of different of. Up different mechanisms. Like I said, you can take a, a, a device and just stick it inside and, and hide it. You can typically, typically, they like to get a little smarter about this and actually, you know, build build this into the control logic and, you know, then put it on the network and and such when they're in control it but you know it's typically a family of microcontrollers you know for for this that have incorporated a lot of these functions inside of this and there are a bunch of different folks out here who've taken you know a processor core tied together with a you know typically some sort of networking on here since to me you know a smart device fundamentally needs networking at some level in order in order to really communicate with the outside world because you know your typical smart device doesn't have a monitor and it doesn't have a keyboard. You know, and mm-hmm. so to me, that's probably the difference between a smart device and a computer is just the interaction mechanism that you ha- that you have with it. You know, if you don't have a keyboard and you don't have a you know a monitor on it, but it communicates with the network, you know that you know that to me is you know now it's a smart device and not a computer. You know, some people could be a smart device and a computer in there. You know, and then, and then somebody's going to blur that line, but you know, to me, that's you know really where the the the, uh, the line gets drawn. You know, and. What's happening is these smart devices are getting more and more powerful as people to try and do more and more things with them in here. And so this line is getting more and more blurred, you know on here. All of the problems that we have with computers are working their way down into smart devices as well, especially as, as you know as uh, people recognize that uh, you know there are a lot more of these and they're a lot less secure out there. And so they're a rich uh, you know a rich target which i'm I'm sure we'll talk more about as the uh, as the uh, as the discussion goes on. <laughs>
1: Indeed. Yeah, These uh, the Raspberry Pi is probably the better known if if anybody's looked at this stuff at all. They're really amazing for like 35 bucks. They're about the size of a deck of cards. And it comes with USB ports and uh, HDMI out port. And, and like you said, you could all you got to do is hook up a monitor, keyboard a mouse and power supply. And you've got yourself a fully functioning computer if you want one. It's not fast, but I mean, compared to you know most other computers. Uh, but I've I've messed around with these things. They make little hobbyist things of these that are not much bigger than a postage stamp, and it's still the the Raspberry Pi basic processor. Their ARM processor is amazing. So okay, so when I'm designing and manufacturing an IoT device you know what special considerations need to be made for security for example these things have lower processing power and they've also got razor thin profit margins these things you know a lot of these devices even though they seem expensive are still sold with you know not a lot of headroom for things like oh i don't know security you know as i'm designing for these devices what sort of considerations do i have how much different is i don't know writing software or writing thinking about security is for a device this small or this cheap or uh, this low of profit margin
0: well, I mean, uh, you, you, you said the, uh, the, the magic buzzword in there a few times, and that's cost. You know, there's one thing on what you'd like to do and another thing on what you can do. Uh, on all of this stuff, because as you mentioned, a lot of these things security wasn't necessarily thought of when it first, you know, when it, when it was first designed. And a lot of IoT devices aren't running on the latest and greatest designs; they're running on something a few generations old. You know, security may be the concern nowadays that everyone's seeing, but it probably wasn't when the chip for that IoT device was actually designed and integrated. So a lot of times, you could be working on something that, you know, is ten, fifteen years old you know inside of here so you don't have the modern mechanisms around all of this because of the cost constraint on all of this and you know on to- on top of that they probably don't want to give you a processor that has too much headroom in it because there is planned obsolescence inside inside of all of this stuff. They don't want to sell you an IoT device that's going to be good for the next twenty years because they want you to come back and five ten years later, uh, you know, in in order to bring you on to the next generation. And in fairness, you know, people like me are going to buy that, but not everyone has a home full of smart devices like I do around around here. But you know, when you're when you're doing this design, ideally, yeah, you're doing it with you know the latest and and you know, and greatest stuff. You're doing it something that has some of the built-in security features. You know, ARM has come a long way, proposing um, standards and, and pushing them forward. In here, as have other folks who, pl- who play in the IoT space. You know, I'm I'm closer to ARM on here. That's my background, uh, and they are the dominant player in here. But they've done they've come come a long way. But that doesn't mean that that's what everyone is necessarily using. You can still uh, go out there and buy microcontrollers based on the ARM uh, Cortex A9, which is something that's been around for 15 years, hmm. uh, and that's that's still overkill uh, as far as the processing power needed for some of this stuff. And I'm sure stuff. they're cheaper.
1: So,
0: yeah, yeah. So you know, why spend the money on that on that stuff that may be more secure and stuff when this older stuff meets my needs? And you know, so it all comes back to cost. And fundamentally, you know, it needs to be recognized that security itself, or not being secure, it has its own cost that comes along yes. with it. And I think I think for too long it's been that not being secure. Doesn't have much of a cost associated with it. Yeah, you'll read in the news every once in a while about a, about a new exploit or things that come out, but you never really see much in the way of companies going bankrupt because their <laughs> their product, uh, you know, had the security vulnerability and and. and and such inside there. And maybe that balance needs to shift a bit I mean, mm-hmm. here to make companies a bit more, you know, a bit more liable for it. And you see that people would actually start making it more, more secure inside of there, because I think cost is the overriding concern. And if there's no cost to be paid for being insecure, then people won't up the budgets that they have on, on making a device secure in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's one of the weirdest things that it for a country as litigious as the United States is, and all the product liability you know, lawyers and things that are out there in class that's class action lawsuits maybe it's the terms of service that we all agree to that we never look at that that say you know we must submit to arbitration and all software is to, applied as is and you know for whatever reason software companies seem to have gotten <laughs> gotten a pass and uh you know i'm not sure how much longer that can last because you're right there's just there's no all the market forces are there to not support security they're there for profitability and profitability and security usually don't go hand in hand Uh, Because anyway, I could go down that rabbit hole for a long (laughs) way. So, but more more on a technical level, you know, for folks, you know, the cybersecurity industry, we love to say that the S in IoT is for security, which of course means there isn't any. That's the joke. But I mean, these are computers. I mean, are these IoT devices significantly more vulnerable in some fundamental way to hacking or to malware than what we think of as more regular computers? Is there is there a fundamental security difference in Characteristics between these types of computers?
0: Well, I mean, you know, as we started off the conversation with, you know, a smart device and a and computer don't differ all that much, especially with the newer generation stuff. You know, a smart device, oftentimes, you can even have what's almost a full computer inside of it. The difference is. Is is that there are typically a lot more smart devices coming from a bunch of different places mm-hmm. inside inside the home, you know? So I I, I touched briefly on, on on my own home. M- my own home, admittedly, I, I might be a little bit of a geek on this, but I've got over a hundred devices on my Wi-Fi network, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 various capacities. Two of these are computers, so two of these you know i run the the latest and greatest virus software on always up i always apply the latest updates and things like that i keep them entirely updated if i look at the rest of my network and you know i'm i'm you know in the in the biz i work for a security company you know, i'd like to think i know what i'm doing from this standpoint but i've got I think there are seventeen different manufacturers of the devices on my network. I will guarantee you I don't know what all of those devices uh, are. I'd guarantee you I don't know the latest patch levels on all of those. And although I'd like to say that I'm up to date on, on these various things, I can all but guarantee you there's at least one device on my on my network that isn't up to the latest patch level on all of this stuff. And and that's me. I'd like to believe I have at least some idea of what I'm of what I'm doing in this space. You go to my mom's house. And you know, my mom gets kind of my some of my tech handoffs and things like that. So she's got some <laughs> of this stuff. I know she doesn't update because whenever I go back for Christmas, I update all of her stuff. You right. know. And my mom is far more like the average user out there. You know, mm-hmm. on here yep. they've got a you know a collection of stuff. They've gotten it from various sources, and they put it on the network once. And they never do anything more with it. This means that it wasn't designed completely securely in the first place, and you know it'll be. Well, I'd like to think they are, but I mean, there's a reason people keep making making patches, you know, on here. So you know that if it's not kept up to date, it's going to be a, an area for security vulnerability. And you know these devices move from place to place, and on top of that, they all interface with our mobile phones, or most of them interface with our mobile phones. And or the mobile phone is the is the the link in this that it's often not really talked about a whole bunch. They talk yeah. about, mm-hmm. oh, secure your Wi Fi and secure your network on this. But you know, you've you're carrying around your biggest security vulnerability in here with, with your mobile phone. You're constantly installing apps on it. You're constantly bringing it onto other networks. Um, you're constantly walking around and exposing it to people who can be attacking for any of these any nefarious means. And then bring it home, you know, as a secured portal onto your home network. And and by the way, logging on to all of these various apps to control some of these devices. You don't know where they came from. Any one of these can be, you know, can expose a security hole. And all it takes is one. You know, one way in and now you've got something you've given someone a secured access and then in, in all of this stuff. And that to me is where IOT is a, you know, is a, is a bigger security problem than, you know, almost anything else is because, you know, it can be the gateway to get secured access in. And oftentimes it's because we're letting it
1: yeah right.
0: I've got three different brands of cameras in my house for for various reasons, and I want to be able to look at them when I'm outside the home so right and and everyone else does too because what good is is having a doorbell camera if I can't see who's at ne- my door when I'm out getting groceries. so there's a right. portal inside of there. I'd like to leave it secure. You know, I mean, who knows uh, on that, but you know, that's a, you know, a portal that I've opened because I want that and other people do the same thing. And that is, you know, fundamentally an area of, you know, uh, you know, we're trading off comfort for security.
1: Well, and you mentioned so- software updates, which is crucial. Uh, and, and a lot of these devices aren't updatable. I mean, a lot of just, there is no way to update your smart toaster. Uh, yeah. you know, if it doesn't update itself, there's no way for you to do it. Some of them have portals. Some of them have apps that you could connect to that might allow you to check the software, at least check the version, if not update it. And we're, they're getting better. But man, it's certainly a lot of the older devices in general don't even have a way to update. So if they're if they're broken, they're going to stay broken forever until you throw them away. Yeah, um, no, very so true. I've, got, to, I've got,
0: I've got my, a smart oven uh, out here. I have no idea how to update how to update its <laughs> firmware on here. I know that I'd like to because it sucks in about five different ways. But uh, yeah, I have no idea how to update it.
1: So we talked a little bit about networking, though, and so... You know, most smart devices are connected to the network. That's almost part and parcel of the definition of a smart device today. And one of the things that can protect your home is your home router. That's what a lot of people don't think about it, but your home router has a firewall built into it. Your home router has even just network address translation, which makes it so that you you have private IP addresses in your house that can't really be seen outside your house. That's, you know, security by obscurity, basically. So, how effective are these home routers at isolating and protecting devices from external attack? I mean, when we're talking about IoT devices, is that helping us a lot here? Is that is that keeping these devices from being hacked? Does it matter if they're wired versus wireless? I mean, most of them are wireless now, but there are some like streaming boxes and TVs that still have Ethernet ports on them. Talk to us a little bit about the home network security part of this.
0: Well, I mean, certainly, you know, the, the router helps a lot you know, we don't have every single device sitting natively directly on the internet, unless you either really, really know what you're doing or really, really don't know what you're doing uh, <laughs> right. in, inside right. of there. Tip, tip, typically, you know, most of these routers show up and put in a nice a nice barrier on top of that. And assuming you actually go through and change the default root password on there, which mm. unfortunately a lot of people don't, you know, mm. in there, you know, it, form, it forms a nice barrier on that somewhat. Like I said, you know, I've got three different, three different types of cameras on my home network. I've done nothing to set up firewalls and things like that uh, on them. You know, they are behind NAT, so, you know, I can't ping them from the, from outside, but they attach to a cloud service, you know, so that, so that they can route through, and I can attach to that. Right there, there is now a portal through. And, you know, in addition, you know, that cloud service has a bunch of other users attaching to it as well. So, you know, if I'm a hacker, do I go after a home? Or do I go after a cloud service that a bunch of other things attach to uh, and, right. and then attack out from there? So, you know, I, I think that we've deluded people into a false sense <laughs> false of security on there by saying, you know, secure your home network and you're safe. But, I mean, we regularly attach our home networks to other people's networks and and those are much richer attack targets. But we've given them kind of secured back doors into ours. So, yeah, I mean, you know get it, get a new router, you know, do everything to make it secure. But, you know, be aware of the fact that, you know, you are consciously taking that and attaching it to everyone else. And like I said, and you're bringing a mobile phone on top of this as well, which is also bridging, you know, an outside network into ours. And most of the times we kind of just trust our mobile phones, you know, on this. But, you know, if I'm going to, if I was a hacker trying to gain access to someone's network, I, you know, I'd probably first check the default passwords on that because no one changes them and they're a nice way mm-hmm. in. But, I mean, the next thing I'd do is say, eh, I'm going go through their mobile phone. And that, that's probably a, a better way in than, than anything else. And it's a trusted device uh, as soon as you get in there. And it's a trusted device with a lot of compute power that I can probably hide something in and they won't even notice on there. So, yeah, you know, the, the, home, the home router can give you some sense of security and uh, it being wired. Yeah, that's that's somewhat nice as well. But you know, like I said, if I'm going to attack a, a device, it's probably not going to matter whether or not whether or not it's wired or or, or or wireless. I'm going to attack the cloud service it attacks to and attaches to and come
1: in that way. So a lot of people's home networks and corporate net networks used to be like this, but they've gotten better. Um, but home networks are like old time corporate networks, which we just call the M&M defense, where it's crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside, which is mm-hmm. to say that once you know, the they try to keep people out from getting in your network, but once they're in, they, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, uh, and they have free access. So one of the things I often recommend to people is that they segregate their network that they actually use their guest network, which was uh, a lot of a lot of modern routers have that feature built in most people don't use it, I don't think by default. But uh, so what I tell a lot of people to do is to take these relatively less secure cheapo special devices, these IoT devices that have questionable or dubious security and put them on the guest network, and to keep them segregated from their computers. And that works as long as you don't have to have a like an app on your phone that's on the same network that needs to talk to it. But first of all, do you agree with that recommendation? And second, do you have any any other maybe recommendations, other things you already mentioned, updating the firmware, I guess, and changing default passwords. So maybe we've covered the basics. But is there anything else you can think of that people might want to do to mitigate the risks from having a lot of IOT devices on their network?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about guest networks and I've certainly got routers capable of doing them as well, but I don't use them. You know, it's, it's, it's cumbersome in Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, I've got Sonos devices uh, in here. They're wonderful devices. I I love them. They've got them in pretty much every room that I spend any time in, in my house. But if I want to control them with my phone, I've got to be on the same network as them. I can't access them from a different network. And, yep. you know, and my guests, when they come into the home, they want to do the same thing. My guests all have Sonos, well, not all of them, but you know, a lot of them have Sonos at their own place. They like the ability to, yeah. to, to, you know, to log in and can and do that. So do I, do I, let people, some people access my network and some people not. Mm. You know, what do you feel like to create a second class citizen on here? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, you know, and, and it gets worse. You know, I've got Chromecasts attached to my TV to do streaming. You got to be on the same network for that too, or at least to do yeah. it easily. They've got guest modes for that now too, but my mom doesn't know how to use it. You know, and it comes down to, you know, these things that exist that I can do in here and and do all of that. What how you know how difficult do I want to make it for anyone else? And if I'm setting this up and my mom's network, how many how many calls do I want to take from her <laughs> on a regular basis? I was like, "Oh, well, my sister came right. over and she's on the Wi-Fi and I can't watch the video and I want to watch a video." It's like, "Okay, well tell her to go on to you know." It's, it's, right. You know, it's 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 one of these things where you know, it creates a different class and, you know, yeah, it's it's great as a default mechanism to do that, but Personally, I don't do it in here on, on, on that stuff. And am I setting myself up for a potential vulnerability at some point in time down the road? Yeah, possibly. But, you know, I mean, security is always a game of risks uh, on here. Yes. You know, like I said, uh, my personal belief is I have a, st- a higher chance of getting hacked because of the cloud services all of these things attacked, attached to rather than anyone getting, you know, caring about getting direct access into my personal network. I've got one of, as I mentioned, I've got three different cameras in here. One of them, from a more dubious, uh, dubious maker will occasionally reset itself and click and run around the room. So I don't power that one on very often because I just assume it's hacked (laughs) in some mechanism on here, but, but I haven't done anything else with it, you know, uh, you know, on here. So it's, it's a, a certain standard of care, but you know, for me, I'd like to, I, 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 I personally favor ease of use over, uh, you know, over, over that extra bit of security in here, because I don't believe it's all that much more secure in there personally from that. But, you know, as I say, I do tend to go through and I, as you mentioned, I keep device updated. I've got, you know, like I mentioned, I've got a house full of smart apps of smart devices. I think I have 17, I think I counted the other, I think I have 17 different apps that control the uh, the devices and that. And I open each one of those at least once a month because they all, you know, because they, they don't always necessarily alert you on these various mm-hmm. things. Or there's a new terms mm-hmm. of service you've got to agree to before they download new up, you know, updates and and so that. So I try and go through and update, you know, and, and open each one of these at least once a month. Go through and and update the firmware and, and stuff associated with that. Also, I mean, we've all got voice assistants nowadays, or at least a lot of us do. Some of are us are a little more some, yeah, some,
1: uh, holdouts uh, for so, sure, but
0: yeah, and you know, but it, but it's interesting. Uh, you know some people some people won't let their voice assistant do anything uh, i don't i don't let them do drop-ins uh i don't let them buy things i think letting your voice mm. assistant buy things <laughs> is just nuts uh on here now some of it's because i'm kind of fussy and i don't want to buy whatever device the voice system just mm. d- d- goes off and does but also i don't want some guy being able to stand outside my window and say you know uh Famous famous voice assistant name because I can't say it too loud because it'll trigger somewhere else. You know, buy this uh, and then wait for it to show up on my porch and 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 go get that. You know, that to me is are the more obvious. You know, things are you know, you know on here and as we do more and more to control these devices with voice and and other mechanisms. You know, that's a whole new mechanism that is tougher to, is tougher to control. I can have the best security in the world, but if someone can stand outside the window and yell things at my, uh, at my, (laughs) uh, at my voice assistant and break, break my security that way, unlock my doors or, you know, or, or order things, how secure is my network really?
1: Yeah, we actually just, I just talked about that uh, in this week's episode. One of the stories was actually hackers using ultrasound to give commands to voice assistants that you couldn't hear, but it could hear, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. (laughs)
0: You are going to make me paranoid about a whole new <laughs> class of things, here, carry. Uh,
1: that's what we strive to do on this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so you know, people might be thinking, okay, great. So somebody hacks my toaster, so what? Or somebody hacks my smart light bulb. Maybe they're going to make it flash. What are they going to do? Um, but there are actual, real world impacts. Maybe not to you, but to other devices around the planet. What? And I am leading you into things like DDoS attacks. But what? What? Uh, what are some of the the downsides or what are some of the real world impacts for insecurity on these iot devices because we think about maybe the direct impacts but there are some kind of indirect impacts as well
0: well certainly there are the direct impacts if you've got anything compromised on your network it can steal any manner of personal information and relay it off to people who can do really bad things with it uh mm-hmm. you know every one of our my uh, my phone's got all my credit card information on it in some man- manner on that if i've got some device that can you know on my trusted network that can come and do things with it yeah I, you know suddenly suddenly i'm exposed but yeah it's it's it is more about just us you know it is you know these uh, iot devices are real easy to you know get all aligned and start doing ddos attacks uh, or start propagating worms or things like that and and the bad thing is since these things don't all communicate just over one network protocol, they oftentimes go peer to peer or stuff like that. It's not just a simple manner of taking down the, uh, you know, taking down the Wi-Fi hub and assuming that you've you've removed its means of communication. Half my devices communicate on Zigbee or something else like that. (laughs) Right. You know, you you can get an infection and spread it all out. And so now eradicating that is extremely difficult to do with all of this stuff. And so, you know, that, you know, is the you know, it's the real big gotcha with IoT is just the breadth of the attack surface and, and, yeah. the, uh, and, the, and the spreading surface as it, as it comes in and all of this stuff. So, so the problem just isn't internal. It's, you know, it's external and it, it can propagate out in, in many different ways.
1: Well, one of the funny stories had a friend of mine tell me was that he had a buddy who had a smart light bulb and these are these are light bulbs, you could change the color, you could change the brightness, you can change the temperature, blah, 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 with a little phone app, and it's kind of fun, and of course, turn it on off, off and on. And it was starting to flicker, it was starting to flash, and he couldn't figure it out. And he wasn't a technical guy, but he knew a technical guy somebody I knew, and they came over and checked it out and, and poked around at this device. And sure enough, this device had been hacked. And so the reason it was flickering is because it was doing a lot of other processing in the background and couldn't keep up with its normal function <laughs> so so the the way it expressed that was it was not doing its job properly, and otherwise, this guy would not have known it. It was probably some part of some botnet or something would you know it was the the user would probably never have known it. But just FYI, the solution was to unplug it and plug it back in because a lot of the the a uh, lot of the malware that hits a lot of these IoT devices only runs in RAM because a lot of these devices don't have a hard drive per se. Uh, mm-hmm. So once you just if you turn it off and turn it back on, a lot of times it's flushed basically. Uh, so just there's a little minor tidbit for you. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Zigbee. And I want to dig into that a little bit too, because you're right. A lot of these devices, (laughs) home automation was going to be the next big thing. Everything was going to be home automated and everything's all your devices are going to be smart and they're all going to talk to each other. The problem is nobody could settle on the language because everybody wanted to control the language. Everybody wanted to own the language. And so there were many languages, as we like to say, the nice thing about standards is there's so many to choose from. Uh, So there was Zigbee, there was Z-Wave, there was SmartThings, there was... Many, many others. But there appears to be, fingers crossed, this other thing that's called Matter. So, this new protocol called Matter. I don't know why they chose that name. It seems like an odd name, but anyway, that's what it's called. And it seems to have some promise. Maybe it's going to, you know, one standard to finally one ring to rule them all. So, can you tell us a little bit? You know, maybe people don't think about this, but you mentioned it. So, how do these devices use these proprietary protocols to talk to each other? What is Matter? and you know do you have any confidence that maybe matter is going to finally unify all of our smart devices
0: well i mean at, at it you know at first blush matter has kind of the same problems as everything else you know as you mentioned it's it's a new standard uh, but the nice thing on this one is it at least has all the main main players behind it i think there are over 280 players um, that have signed yes. up for it so from yes. a You know, a weight standpoint, it has a weight to it that no other standard um, has managed to achieve yet on here. And, you know, it's got, you know, not only are they signed up because, you know, anyone will sign up for things in here, but, you know, they're contributing and advancing this. And, you know, a lot of these big players have actually started putting out releases you know on on this stuff. So, you know, there's some there there, you know, on this and they've they've started coming up with this. And and I think it's because, you know, a lot of these people have realized that the protocol isn't a differentiator uh, on here. I'm not going to buy something really fundamentally because it's got this protocol. I think what they've finally done here is is come together and and made the protocol a commodity. And they said, as long as you have this, you know, everyone's going to have it. You can't differentiate on it. Go differentiate on something that matters, right? Aha! Uh, uh, uh-huh, to use it to coin a term on uh, on here, <laughs> uh, and you know, and to me, I think that's you know what they fu- the way they really finally did with this is basically said you you know your value add shouldn't just be this fancy new pr- uh, protocol you come up with and uh, and such. Your value add should be you know hopefully ease of use, since you know that's really what fundamentally is holding a lot of this stuff back is ease right. of use. Well, like I mentioned i've got you know all all of these different devices but i'm a geek of course I'm, I'm fine with doing that my mom can't do that my mom doesn't want to do that my mom right. wants you know to do one you know to have one way of controlling everything in there and ideally that one way isn't calling me up whenever anything breaks <laughs> uh you know on, on here so you know so matter right. has the promise of doing this it's You know, it's not just a singular protocol. It's two protocols, you know, one to to basically do the configuration and then one to do the communication on this. But it has the promise of actually bringing everyone together around this. And it actually looks like it's, you know, starting to happen. The first, you know, certification stuff came out towards the end of last year. The first devices are rolling out now. Yeah. Um, You know, there aren't a whole bunch of them yet, but, you know, they're actually, you know, you've got, you know, folks like SmartThings and and Philips and and Hue and stuff like that, rolling this out to some of their legacy devices. Now they're not fully Matter compliant, mm. but you know they're doing their best to to bring them along. And you know, Wi Fi six, the new you know that's being rolled out in the new in the new routers. You know, supposedly has the ability to support the the Thread protocol, which is the you know the you know the the, the new standard for for communication in, inside of Matter. You know, on here and you know and, and and to do this, and to basically migrate to something where you don't even need, you know, proprietary hubs anymore, because you know you just need right. uh, an enabled router. Of course, it means everyone's got to replace their router. But you know, maybe this is how <laughs> they, maybe, maybe this is how they got all the people involved. It's going kind to of like, I'll let you sell a new router on right. here. You know, and m- maybe that was the pitch they made to them uh, on here. But I mean, the fundamental difference on this one is, you know, is that it seems to have the weight behind it uh, for adoption. And of course, time will tell as to whether or not it, it, it actually happens I've, I've got my fingers crossed because like i say it make my make, make my life a lot easier i think i have four different style hubs uh in my in my mm-hmm. personal network it'd be nice to eliminate all of them um mm-hmm. uh, you know on this you know of course i've already got them wired and already made the investment so it's not going to burn me if it doesn't but you know it sure would make my my networking life a little easier if this all came down to so you know i i i i'm cautiously optimistic
1: I am too. And I have started to see some of the devices roll out. I'm anxious to try some of them. And like, for example, I'm I'm an Apple guy. So I've got the iPhone and on that Apple's home networking thing is the Apple home app. And I've got several of my devices that are home compatible. And they're really nice. Like when you first open them up, they've got a little QR code that you scan and Apple's smart enough to know that when you scan that it's a it's a home device and just set up as a breeze. But not all of them do in fact i've got some from the same manufacturer that work some some from that manufacturer that work with apple home and some that don't eufy cameras for uh, i've got a, a eufy ring door or not ring i've got a eufy doorbell <laughs> uh video doorbell uh, that does not work with apple home video and apple home but i've got two other eufy cameras that i use inside the house that do i don't know why that is i don't know why a software update can't just fix that but apparently it can't but anyway they need to be turnkey they need to be plug and play. And for that, again, my mother's is also my avatar. Like when I think about if this stuff's going to work, she's got to be able to do it without calling me first. And uh, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping as you are, that matter is going to solve that particular problem and make these things better. And then what I'm really hoping actually is that is that cybersecurity will somehow improve this. I haven't looked into this yet, and I don't know if you have, but does matter come with it as part of the matter spec? Does it include, like, do they they think about cybersecurity as part of the spec? Or is that completely still separate from from matter?
0: You know, I, I have to admit, I've not done a whole bunch of research into this aspect as well. But, I mean, if you think about it, you know, from a fundamental level, once, once we're all fully adopted with matter, it should be more secure just by the very nature of we've reduced the attack surface, right? We've reduced mm-hmm. down from all of these various possible protocols and, and various networks and various and myriad cl- class of hubs that all need to be updated and things like this down to a hubless approach. So there's less attack service to two protocols, Bluetooth and and Thread, uh, on here as opposed to a whole bunch of other stuff uh, on here. So you know the you know just from narrowing the the number of attack points, it should in theory go down. And and one would also like to think that you know and neither one neither one of us has done the research on here, but one would also like to think that uh a standard coming out and in these modern times would have at least given a nod to security um, inside of here and and rolled it out with that in mind if not then i think i know what one of us should start a business doing
1: (laughs) well i think that's exactly right and and that was another point I was making as you were talking, and you said it is that the fact that it is a standard, the fact that multiple companies need to get together and work on this collectively makes it less proprietary, makes it less, you know, arcane and unknown. Uh, I think a lot of times companies really screwed up when they try to roll their own security. And, (laughs) and, you know, so getting together with other big companies and stamping your name on something like this, I think at least has the opportunity for these things to be better, you know, and more, more, more secure, less bugs, things like that, we can we can only hope. Okay, so we've talked a lot about security. We haven't talked a lot about privacy, though we have alluded to it uh, off and on throughout the interview so far. But there are a lot of privacy implications when you talk about Internet of Things. And, you know, what's to stop smart devices from collecting personal data and even from scanning your network, right? If they're on your network and they're not on, the guest network if they're on the network with other juicy devices that have you know info that might you might learn about your network or even just learning about the devices in your network and reporting back on that this telemetry data or this other information it could be scanning your network and so as you said you've got 17 on, these, on your phone a lot of these you know smart devices Manufacturers have a companion app that they want you to install as well, which has more permissions and things that they want you to give. You know, give me access to your contacts, give me access to your uh, GPS, and all these other things that they probably don't need. But there's just yet more privacy things. So, Apple has a thing called Secure Home Video, which is supposed to be kind of like Matter. It's a it's a pseudo standard. It's an Apple standard, uh, but they're trying to get other people to adopt it because Secure Home Video means that only app only you actually, not even Apple, supposedly. Will have access to to your video. So, do you think that things like Matter might address some privacy concerns as well? We, Could we hope?
0: You know, potentially, but you know, fundamentally, Matter is uh, about establishing a protocol uh, on here, not what gets done. You know, w- with that or how it gets used. And you know, on top of that, and and this is this is the the whole gotcha on here is you know we we touched we touched earlier on these agreements that we all agree to but never read. <laughs> The uh, standard can say one thing and such like that, but, you know, all it takes is a legal agreement to give that right away, um, you know, on some of these things. Now, you know, the phone has done a great, you know, the phones have done a great job with this because, as you mentioned, you install something now and it, and, you know, it wants to, you know, look at your GPS, you know, your phone, your phone actually pops up. Something says it's trying to access GPS. Do you want to let it do this hmm. now? I suppose, and this is something. This is something. Maybe I should have done a little more research on this, for, you know, from this. But you know, one could look in, at at matter and say, could or should the matter standard incorporate something like this? It's kind of like this device on your on your network is trying to interrogate the status of these other things. One should, of course, think you should be able to see if other devices exist. But should it be able to? You know, how how far should that be able to go? Right. Should it be able to query and see what software rev they're running? Should it be able to query and see what personal information they've gathered and stuff like that? And, you know, that, you know, I, I think, you know, that's probably where that's going to need to end up going. And, you know, it, it could have actually done this. This is this is an area where, honestly, I don't know on, on here, but I can imagine how difficult that would be to do inside of that because, you know, things that one person may think are are necessary and needed, you know, like which software representative It'd be nice to know that I'm talking to something yeah. of the compatible compatible ref. But you know, knowing which software ref I'm running could also be used by hackers to say, "Oh, well, this is running at this rep. It's already patched. It's not a it's not a soft target. I need to go find a soft target." So things that are useful for uh, for one purpose can be very very uh, soft targets um, for for uh, doing security analysis in there as well. So you know that could certainly give a a follow on threat to uh, um, to privacy. Uh, on this but you know honestly like i said going going back to all of that i think you know our biggest privacy concern is the stuff we're carrying around in our pockets uh on here Mm. that's where i'm you know that's where we're giving up all that information that's where i type in my credit card information i've never given my credit card information directly to one of my iot devices (laughs) but i've certainly (laughs) given it to my iot devices apps on my phone you know that to me is i mean is you know the area that needs to be secured down more on here i mean you know the security around apps, and you know making sure that they're not leaking information. That's you know that's the biggest set of security holes. I you know I, I, that I think needs to be that I think needs to be fixed. You know the, this touches a bit on you know the other half of Corellium, the part the part that focuses on the mobile security. But I look at some of the the security holes and privacy holes that you know people find in apps all the time. You know on here, and it proves that you know security and privacy can't just afford to be an afterthought, uh, when you're yeah. designing the, the apps on here, you know, the apps control the, the IOT. So that's the, the overlap on here, but the, they expose your information in all sorts of different, different directions. And, you know, and you know, for me, if I'm, if I'm investing my money on where I want to tighten security, it's probably on the apps that control IOT more than the IOT device itself, because you know, the really lucrative stuff, my credit card information, it's all on the app.
1: Well, what, maybe this is dreaming and maybe it's just behind the sky thinking, but I'd love to think that if there really is a standard, if and, I'll, and I'm not sure exactly how open matter is, but I would have to think you could license it. So what I would love to be able to do then is I would love to have a third party hub, uh, maybe done free and open source software, maybe someone comes up with their own version of the hub software, so I don't have to use the one that came with the company. And the other thing I'd kind of like to see combined with this, I'm There are products like Portmaster and Lulu and and Little Snitch that are actually kind of reverse firewalls that let you watch the devices that are trying to communicate out. And because now we've got so many devices that may be phoning home and who knows who they're calling. I would love to see all of this kind of put together. And the router seems like the perfect place personally for me to do this. So I could kind of imagine eventually we'll have your home router is their home hub as well. And so I want that router to maybe allow my IoT devices to talk to the manufacturer, but uh, and they're accepted one in the U.S., but not all of a sudden start phoning back to China. I, I don't know. You know, it have some sort of connection level access to that and having more visibility into that because the hub is something that is by a third party, not by the, the manufacturer. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I ever get to something like that.
0: Well, I mean, as we touched on, Matter... You know, gets rid of the need for proprietary hubs.
1: Yeah, um, so, so, yeah. so
0: your so your first your first desire is already there. You can use you know your home router um, as the hub for for all of this stuff. And thread the way it's based means that actually our devices can communicate without uh, needing to go up to the cloud, which is a nice a nice benefit as well. You know, on here, so it should in theory minimize you know all of that. And there are ways to limit what one device can communicate with. Um, out, out there in the outside world I don't know if matter itself incorporates the that standard but you know mm-hmm. I know my router uh, I can limit well, where where all any, any one device talks to so you know it's it's it may not be as far off as, as, as you would think uh, on here of course most of my devices were made in China and most of them refer to uh, right. you know servers servers in China for their firmware updates so right. and I'd like to get those firmware updates right. and, you know so so where do I draw the line you know, on here. And I think that's the gotcha in all of this stuff, because if I'm, I'm a bad actor, I just say, well, of course it needs to talk to these servers over here. How else is it going to get an update?
1: Well, the other thing I always loved it too, is it was especially with these home assistants. I love the idea of the home assistant. I love the, you know, the the utopian universe of Star Trek, where you say computer and it, and you'd ask it a question. And, and if you ever watch Star Trek, there's no thought about privacy. Like just assume that the computer is only talking to you and they're not going to give up your secrets. I would love also for this hub to be that, like a lot of times these smart speakers, because they don't have the processing power, will record your snippet and send it to the cloud for interpretation and get the response back. I would like that to all happen in my house. I would like to have a hub that has that capability built into it so that I control where all that stuff goes through so it never leaves my home. That'd be great. Anyway, uh, more in the sky thinking. All right, last, uh, last question. And know we touched on this a little bit already, but... For whatever reason, we have managed to give a pass, I think, to a lot of these software makers, uh, when things go bad, and they we have not held them accountable. But in recent, even year, maybe not even plural, the US has really kind of gotten involved, the, the US government, um, in particular, and I've liked what I've seen, like NIST, the National Institute for Science and Technology, I think is NIST, um, has put out some IoT security guidelines. And even the White House has put out a strategy document around this topic. So what is it going to take? I mean, the, the market really isn't there to pressure these companies to do these things. There's there's not people filing clash acts and lawsuits and winning big things that cause other companies to tighten things up. You know, what's it going to take to really improve the security of these smart devices? You know, if nothing else... Could we maybe get more transparency about like the relative security of these devices so the market can kind of function like because, you know, my mom's looking at two things on the shelf. She can't hold two things in her hand and say, well, looking at the labels, I can see this one's more secure than that one. Or this one's more private than that one. There's no transparency in these things. Do we just need regulations or is, is there a technical solutions? What is uh, I know I'm asking for a lot here, but what, what's what's your <laughs> opinion on how we how we might be able to fix this problem?
0: Well it's 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 interesting you know you can kind of see how we got to where we are right if you if you open the bounds for all litigation and liability and things of like that in the early days of an industry it just doesn't grow, right? So hmm. you can see why we put these protections in place in order, in order to say, you know, you're not liable for these various things. You're just a, you're just a router sending in information. And, uh, you know, the fact that it can be used to route bad things in, well, that's not your fault. That's coming from somewhere else, you know, on that. And, you know, that was necessary in order to get these industries off the ground, you know, over, over here. But, you one of the things that's, that was in that, that strategy document that, that came out is a, is a very important line. And in fact I won't I want even read the line in here uh, on here and it says, we must begin to shift the liability onto those entities that fail to take reasonable precautions to secure their software. And that to me is you know underlines the, the, the step that you know I, I think really think needs to be made you know, on here. And it's not saying that you need to take liability for the actions of others. Uh, On here, it's just you know, you know, if there's known security things out here, and you're not you know taking steps on your on your side in order to ensure them, then you should be liable for what happens out here. Now there should be limits and things like this; it shouldn't be uncapped and all that other stuff. But you know, at the very uh, first step, you know, you should be responsible for making your device secure and such from there. And I, I think that should be a necessary first step. On the way of you know on the way of handling this, I mean, love them or hate them, and I have to love them. My brother's a lawyer. Uh, in here, <laughs> I mean, lawyers, lawyers tend to make a lot of things happen in this world, and you know, and that's the that's the part of that's the part of the lawyers that we all hate, including myself, and including my brother, the lawyer, on here, because you know they they sometimes overcorrect on the other side. But I, I think there needs to be some means to let litigation. Balance this out, and you know, you know, shift the burden of responsibility a bit, a bit here more to make co- the companies a bit more responsible for ensuring that these things are secure. I don't want to overcorrect on this side and you know shut right. everything down, uh, right, yeah. you know. But but you know, I think there there should be a, a means of establishing you know some sort of fair policies uh, around here, and you know, in, in, ensuring that known security things are fixed within X amount of time you know in here and you you know establish some means to make sure that these updates are actually done and not just you know like when i have to go back in and open up these apps once a month in order to make sure they have you know it's a, you know it's, it, there needs to be a balance you know and how to, what that is i don't know the problem is is technology is going to advance faster than the law you know and all of these things you know, if we don't start trying to make progress we'll never move forward you know on here and you know it's nice to see the the conversation being started uh, I know it's being pushed back again and in, in, in multiple different multiple different areas, but I think m- moving security from an afterthought and something which is only done once per product release like it is now to being something that's done with every check in you know every time software is modified, you don't just do your your smoke test to make sure it doesn't, uh, you know, it it doesn't break any functionality, but you also test it for security. It didn't introduce any new security holes, you know, just having that step, uh, come in because far too often it's not done that way today. Just that would go a long way towards, towards securing things up.
1: All right, Bill, that was a lot of fun talking about that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really had a great time.
0: Thank you, Carrie. It was great talking with you as well.
1: Thanks again to Bill for coming on the show and explaining IoT security to us. And that was a timely discussion because IoT security is really bad and technologies like Matter will hopefully be making things better. And of course, companies like Corellium that allow software developers and product developers to test this stuff rigorously before it even gets in our hands will hopefully be making these things even better. Some of these uh, US government initiatives that are trying to improve security will be taking effect hopefully in the coming years. Uh, and not too many. Unfortunately, we're we're still gonna have to get rid of a lot of the devices we currently have, which are not that great. Uh, But these will be good reasons for you to upgrade to better, newer devices as they come out, or maybe to finally get into the IoT space. If you've been worried about things like security and privacy, they will be getting better. And hopefully, as a consumer, you will be given the means to determine which of these things are more secure and more private than others. Now, I do want to make a special call out for this Raspberry Pi thing, and, and that's a weird name. And by the way, that's P-I, not P-I-E. It's a play on Pi, the edible dessert, but it's more Pi like the Greek letter Pi. And these are really amazing little computers. If you wanted to mess around with some simple home electronics projects, uh, it basically will let you turn something into a smart device. Or create your own little smart device. These things are, again, the, the base unit is 35 bucks. It's about the size of a deck of cards. It comes with uh, multiple USB ports, an HDMI port, a little slot for an SD card, because that's basically it's hard drive slash memories. You have to put a little SD card in it and a little place for you to connect it to power. At this point, it's usually a USB power. And if you just want to have a little Linux computer to mess around with, you just connect a keyboard and a mouse on a monitor and there you go. You've got yourself a computer that you can play around with. If You want to maybe learn to program or just you know, do some coding or just learn Linux. That's a great way to go. But you could also create really fun standalone electronics projects. Uh, I put a link in the show notes. You can check some of these things out, like you know, some of the common, simpler things. You could make a little home weather station, you know, that checks the temperature and humidity and wind speed and things like that. That could be fun. You can make a little streaming box. Maybe you can set up a little smart camera if you want to catch some wildlife in your backyard when they're moving around. I'm thinking about creating a little Raspberry Pi project uh, to monitor my mailbox uh, to let me know when it's been open and closed and perhaps even put a little camera in there so I can see if there's currently anything in my mailbox. And this little Raspberry Pi ecosystem is is vast and there are there are others as well but i mean you can get versions of the raspberry pi that is not much bigger than a old style you know package of gum some as even small as a postage stamp for you know maybe 10 bucks they're great for educational use too this this was an amazing project that was started several years back and it spawned all sorts of other similar projects that they really are cool if you want to play around with electronics or coding or or linux or something these are great little devices for that Check the links in the show notes if you want to find out more. And by the way, I did look a little bit more into the security and privacy aspects of the new Matter IoT standard, and it definitely appears that they have strived to build both of those into that framework. You know, with encrypted communications, like all all the communications between the devices now are encrypted. It's got like a certificate-based trust model to make sure that there aren't rogue devices trying to get in on the network. They have a standard for over-the-air firmware updates. And it's and it's an open standard so uh, you know other people can re- review it as well make suggestions so it's it, it's going to be a good thing it's not going to be a silver bullet i'm sure but it's definitely a step in the right direction so be looking for that on your new iot devices to see if they support the matter standard it's got a little icon if you want to again there's a link in the show notes if you want to look it up so that you'll recognize that icon but that's what that is about so as usual, I captured a little bit of bonus content for my patrons that will be dropping on Thursday. I asked about Bill's origin story and how he got to be where he is now. Everybody always has an interesting career path and, 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 and how they got to where they are today. And then I asked him some more, some more technical details on how they emulate mobile devices. So for the patrons, as usual, you'll be getting that on Thursday morning. So next week will be a news show as usual. Already plenty of things to cover there, including the FBI telling you not to charge your devices and public USB ports and thieves being able to steal cars by tapping into the network through the headlight. So we, there's, there's lots of interesting stories we'll be covering next week. And then after that, I've got an interview with the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, a really interesting group that's doing some great work up in New York City, but that honestly affects all of us. So lots of great stuff in the pipeline. Subscribe if you haven't, that way you won't miss any of this great content coming up. If you haven't already, check out the book, check out the blog, the newsletter. And if you want some cool dragon swag, check out the merch store. Links to all of that, of course, in the show notes. That'll do it for this week, everybody. Take care, stay safe. And until next week, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.